Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello, dog lovers. You're with me, Kate Fairweather, and welcome to the June edition of Dogs With Jobs. It's great to have you with me. Um, I'm quite excited today because I'm finally going to see inside somewhere that I've been curious about for well over a decade, probably 15 years. I walk my dog regularly um, on a kind of loop from my house, and I have a favourite loop that goes past the headquarters of an organisation called Hounds for Heroes. And I've never been inside, but there's this lovely legend on the wall that has a military ID tag as part of its kind of logo, Hounds for Heroes. But I've always been intrigued. And today, finally, we're going to speak to Alan Parton, who's the founder of the charity um, and who is himself a wheelchair user and has a wonderful assistance dog that we're going to be meeting. It's not his first assistance dog. And a couple of weeks ago, um, there was published a book with a cartoon version of his first assistance dog. So I'm very curious about how everything happened because um, he sustained a terrible head injury many years ago that had him in hospital for a long time. And it's extraordinary, I think, how... Alan has recovered to come out really strong and fighting and running a charity that does some amazing stuff, um, specifically um, for um, this very, I guess, niche area of uh, military personnel. But um, I'm curious. Let's go see what Alan's got to say. Quite looking forward to meeting him. So I am with Alan Parton, who is founder and CEO of Hounds for Heroes. Founder and vice chairman. Oh, okay. Founder and vice chairman. Sorry, do you want to start? Yeah, sorry. That's absolutely fine. And this is super local for me because I'm just in the next village. And so I've always walked past your headquarters and training centre in Ramsdean and wondered and wondered what went on inside and we're about to find out. Well, we feel it's a bit like the Bletchley of the assistance dog <laughs> world and everyone knows the famous code-breaking centre that really was building somewhere but no one really knew what went on and I always think we are the Bletchley of the assistance dog world hidden in the rolling hills of Hampshire but some real magic takes place here and, you know, as, as we grow, I think people have suddenly realised what's happening in these very undescript buildings, really. So tell me how it started. It really started from my own experiences. I was in the Royal Navy. I'd served for 26 years. I was a weapons electrical engineering officer, happily married with two young children. My wife was a civilian nurse. Uh, I just got my commission. Life was going as well as it could do. And in 1991, the first Gulf War reared its ugly head. I was designing weaponry up in Bath. Uh, found that very hard reading the papers, watching the news, uh, watching the news on the telly. And, and it really started to bug me that I needed to be doing what I was paid to do in the Navy was was a weaponeer actually on a ship. Eventually I got to go on a ship to sail to the Gulf, but for me the naval war was over, the fast patrol boats had all been sunk, the Iraqis, had, the oil rigs had been captured back. So from a naval conflict it wasn't. But our job was to go down there and take apart the munitions that are being used about us. And sadly in this current climate there were Russian weapons that were being supplied to be used against us. So our job was, wasn't bomb disposal, anything as, as, as amazing as that, but we were to take apart this weaponry and understand how it worked. I sailed from Portsmouth, I waved goodbye to my wife on the round tower and we had a captain who was like scotty from dad's army we're doomed you know and he invited us into the cabin and gave us that wonderful lecture that you know 
what was it six of us wouldn't be coming back and there was only five of us in the cabin oh, you know and to cut a long story short I was involved in that operational incident that left me in hospital for five years I woke up I couldn't recall being married the birth of my children I couldn't read write walk or talk until this day none of those lost memories have come back I don't remember Sandra pre, pre-golf and I don't remember my children none of those memories have come back I have to admit it to the listeners you know I had two attempts at suicide while I was in Headley Court there weren't cries for help there were definite you know I was a I'd I felt I'd let Queen and Country down. I had no sense of loss of family, and part of the head injury I'd suffered had robbed me of all human emotions. I didn't have love, hate, happiness, or sadness. And I believe as a human being, without one of them, you can't function, and I'd lost all four. But, you know, I'll say it to a lot of listeners now, you know, that suicide is a very permanent solution to a temporary problem. And, you know, one day my, you know, I was made to sit down with my children and explain to them what I'd done. And believe you me, when your eight-year-old daughter turns around and says, Dad, didn't you love us? is when you pay the piper. Uh, that was a difficult day and a difficult sort of discussion, but it was part of my life and I can't deny it. And eventually I had to come out of the hospital systems because, you know, the advice to my wife, and it seems harsh to probably all the listeners, but, you know, the advice was divorce me, put me in a war pension's home and move on because I wasn't going to recover any cognitive, real cognitive abilities. And she had two young children and I, I fully understand that and I'd hated Sandra to remain with me because she felt it was out of a sense of duty. We were together, but life was quite stressful for the family because I didn't know them, I didn't love them, I didn't engage with them. So you were starting again. Yeah, really. And, you know, and out of 98 of us badly injured in 91, only five marriages survive. And that statistic is current with other conflicts. So quite a huge fallout, uh, the impact on families as well. Eventually, I went to daycare in Portsmouth, to Cosham, to the Horizon Centre, Uh, the children tumbled into school age and my wife said I can't really go back to nursing but what can I do and in the in the local papers there was an article about canine partners wanting puppy parents and they were based just down the road ironically in those early days so Sandra thought you know maybe that's something I could do take a puppy go to puppy class every week learn the lesson of the week reinforce it go back the next week such and such and for 14 months you have this wonderful puppy in your life which you take for its basic training and then sadly have to give it back but Sandra sort of something she wanted to do so she applied on the Monday on the Tuesday they were knocking on the door to make sure we weren't seven stories up in a block of flats didn't have 18 rabies dogs weren't by a railway line without a fence <laughs> and you know they quickly saw the British Legion had brought us this new house we could rent it had six you know six foot fences flat garden for me in the wheelchair Perfect. no 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 floor axe nebulid spotted Dora that the dog would eat and kill it you know whatever so they said amazing but then they looked at me and felt woo you know the dog might actually think it's working for Alan and they were quite concerned about that but then they suddenly sort of relented and said well at least the puppy will get used to the wheelchair from an early age you know and I thought that was nice so Sandra was given the dog Ferdy on the on a Friday I would come back from daycare no reaction from me you know the children had come back from school now at this point you mentioned that your human emotions and with the family had sort of flatlined a bit. How did you feel about the dog, the, the, the puppy? I had no dog? reaction, absolutely right. none. I really was vegetative in a wheelchair. You know, there was nothing broke through that, nothing. Uh, but it was one day my daycare bus didn't come. It was puppy class day and Sandra being Sandra sort of said, well, you're not going to ruin my day, Popeye, because you can't get your act <laughs> together. Not that it was my fault that the driver didn't come and pick us up that one morning. But if his, the, the big man upstairs moves in mysterious ways, he had this orchestrated plan. So I had to go to puppy class with her and she wheeled me into it was just at Steep Marsh. And that one morning there happened to be up there, you know, this wonderful little dog. And in the assistance dog world, we don't have something called failed. We don't have failed dogs. What a horrible term. We use the terminology career change. 
So if someone says your career changed, panic at work. You know? But uh, this lovely 11-month-old Labrador that had health problems, questioned whether he could go on, attitude problem as well. He was very intelligent, extremely intelligent, but he didn't want to do anything. So if you dropped a set of keys, he would look at you and say, well, you dropped it, you pick it up. Mm. You know, and if you wanted the door tugged open, he would look at you and say, well, if you want to go through the door, you tug it open. Well, you know, that morning he saw something on the floor by my wheelchair, got up, trotted across the training centre, picked it up and put it in my lap with no prompting. No, and he sat there and wanted something for that, for doing it. Where's my praise? Where's my reward? Where's whatever? And he got nothing. And that really hacked him off. And then he went to the mock-up supermarket, took a tin off the shelf, didn't get a reward, a reaction. Then he went to the grooming parlour. And I think at the end of it, I had about four handbags, three puppies and everything else in the training <coughs> centre, a printer, a computer, you know, but I was just disappearing under this mound of stuff. And just before I disappeared, the brain switched on and I smiled. And then Endel stayed for a modest 13 and a half years. When I couldn't talk, he learned sign language, touching my head was hat, my face razor my chest coat hands gloves he learned about a thousand commands of signing and ironically though i couldn't communicate with my family i could with that dog he learned when i collapsed at home because my brain's like a computer that we're, we're reset no lot rhyme or logic no warning not like an epileptic fit where you might get a heads up you know just the brain sits like the button on the front of a computer and he learned to put me in the recovery position to cover me with a blanket to hit the emergency phone if that didn't work it opened the window bark for a neighbor if that didn't work it opened the front door and go and get someone and on a daily basis he did some amazing things for me he learned to operate a cash point machine by watching me struggle and one day he leapt up and took the card the money the receipt out next time we went he put the card in the slot when it was given to him and he just just led the way in so many ways and on a daily basis I didn't see it coming if there's an animal on the planet that can teach you lost emotions I believe it's a dog because he started to help me re-engage with new emotions not quite as human as I probably everyone would like but their emotions nevertheless be they mechanical but he made me laugh every morning he was called the six o'clock dog because he never slept past six and he would just put his head on the side of the bed. And if I opened my eyes, I could sense he was there. But I knew once my eyes were opened, I was damned to getting up. There was no, oh, just have five more minutes. Once the eyes were open, your legs were whipped out of the bed. The wheelchair was crammed in. Sounds like he had a very strong personality. He did. And, you know, uh, we were two old crocs drifting in, in somewhere. And we just made the, the dream ticket. But he got me and I got him as someone described it. And I don't think they were being rude. The Wallace and Gromit, the real Wallace and Gromit, the really hapless owner and the clever dog. And I think, yeah, you know, that was probably true where, you know, when I put my hand in my wheelchair bag, my brain didn't tell me what, what it was I was feeling. But he would know. And if I took something out and dropped something, he was that clever that he knew I wouldn't want it and he just put it back in the bag, not for a ward or a treat, just because he could. And this must have happened slowly? It did. I mean, eventually Sandra allowed me to go out with him on my own because she just knew he would look after me. And if I went across a road in the village in Clanfield without looking, part of the head injury, he would stop me. And sometimes I think, what's he looking at? Then I think, oh, yep, OK, then. And, you know, and it was just that, you know, and if I came home of an evening and put my shoes in the fridge, and please, listeners, don't think that was alcohol-induced. It's just a brain injury. It seemed normal at the time. You know, he would know where things were. So he really helped me with the memory because that's never got better as, as my doctor used to say if you sit and worry about what you've forgotten you missed a day 
he helped me where they said I'd never speak again. On a daily basis, we lived in a silent world. And then one day I was signing something and I burped. The timing was critical. And he thought that was amazing to get a bit of sound in this silent world we lived. That encouraged me to sort of grunt noises, grunt noises, become stuttered words. Stuttered and do you words. remember that? Clearly? No, I don't or really. This... I don't know really was because I always described to people I'd been in a pit of despair for five years. Mm. And then the light went on. And every day that that dog dragged me from where I was. So you might have been down as well. Yeah, oh, I think I was. I mean, the fa- I mean, you know, I, probably there would have been a third attempt to at suicide somewhere along the mm. line if it hadn't been for that dog. But, you know, he taught me, you know, to laugh every day was fun but he also taught me to love and you might think that's bizarre to say but one day I was at an event and I was saying you know to, to someone who I don't remember being married and this very special woman who uh, you know was my original wife said uh, if you don't remember the first time you will the second and we got permission because if you're married you can't get married again you have to can only bless a wedding I felt that that would have been stupid to bless something I couldn't remember. So we got permission to remarry again and had a full full white wedding. And that was quite significant when we were both at the front, you know. And when we said for better and worse, as, as silly as it might sound, we were a little bit wiser and we were committed to it. And Endel was my best man. He was very much there, you know, and supporting me through it. And, you know, and he brought me back to my children because in those early days when I couldn't communicate, I embarrassed my children and plus the fact I didn't have a relationship with them but they saw this amazing dog who was voted the world's most intelligent dog dog of the millennium and he also saved my life we were hit by a hit and run car at cross one year and left unconscious in the road and he got up though injured pulled me into the recovery position covered me with a blanket that was under the wheelchair that was his he then barked for help no one came and then he limped off to the hotel and raised the alarm and in the second world war they had a very special medal called the Victoria Cross a Dickey medal and he was awarded that for looking after me in the aftermath so you know it's a dog that saved my life my marriage and on a, you know my children the Royal Navy charity stepped in because though their dad come home he was not the dad they loved uh, you know and it wasn't the dad that sailed away and I can assure you it isn't the dad that presents today but in that aftermath in that maelstrom of my battles the demons you know he he sort of brought me back to my children and, and you know but to be asked to speak at their schools was a real homecoming you know and Endel was there with me he was a pretty amazing dog and well known it had 356 film crews from around the world filming he was the first dog in the cabin of a UK airline first dog on the London Eye he had an audience with the Queen his list you know it was amazing but yeah the children were proud of what we were achieving and uh, yeah for he just took me on an amazing journey and you know it wasn't till we launched the Endel book which we, we co-wrote my wife and I wrote a chapter each uh, we launched it at Crufts he was 13 and a half and then sadly, very sadly, the next day he had a fit, which meant we had to call the vet out to come and uh, put him to sleep. But the vet, you know, said, I can't do it till tomorrow. So we said, OK. But that night I slept we're downstairs with him, cuddled him, thanked him for what he'd done for me, the journey he'd taken me on. And he wouldn't rest. You could see he was uncomfortable. And it wasn't till I dragged my sorry, you know, backside up onto the sofa. You could see him say, he's OK now. Now I can rest. And in the morning when the vet came and he was put to sleep in my lap, Endel gave me the final gift of it. It was this plan. He had this wonderful plan in his way of existence. But my life was like a jigsaw puzzle smashed asunder in the Gulf in 91. And every day Endel had gone off and found a missing bit of that puzzle, which you alluded to. When did it happen? Well, I don't know when when I started thinking and whatever. But, you know, every day he went off and found a bit of the puzzle. And though there's a huge swathe of it missing, if you're a puzzler, you know what I mean. There's an outline. The edge is there. So the rest of it, you know, does it really matter? You know, but he, when he was put to sleep in my lap and took that final breath, he gave me the one gift, the complete me, 
because I cried like a baby. He gave me sadness. He'd given me love, hate, happiness and sadness. But in the corner of the room, there was a little 11-month-old Labrador called Endel Jr., EJ, who loved him to pieces, terrorised him as well, but sort of went over, kissed him goodbye, went over to the corner, picked the jacket and lead up and took over. And that little guy had spent a massive 11 months with Endel. And, you know, when, when Endel went, uh, you know, this little guy stepped up to the plate, could do the cash point machine, traffic lights, light switches, lift mm-hmm. buttons. If I fall unconscious in the bath, which isn't probably a good mental image for any of your listeners, he knew to pull the plug out, keep the head above water, then raise the alarm. He had his own Oyster card for the London Underground. He swiped it on the barriers for me. He just did so much. But he, he had that real springboard from Endel. And, you know, sadly, you know, Endel Jr. took me, he did, what, 485 flights. You know, he was an amazing dog. But he was also the original inspiration for Hounds for Heroes. Can I ask you just a couple of things about yes, course, about yeah. um, Endel? Because I've, I've spoken to a couple of people in context of assistance dogs. Yeah. And the assistance dogs have been trained to do certain actions and it's quite a mechanical thing. But it sounds from what you're talking about is that actually Endel and you, there was much more complexity because you were, and tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but it, it sounds as though you were probably very down as well as having a head injury and that your head injury was, you were recovering from that over the period of time that mm. you had Endel. So... That it was presumably much more symbiotic. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. a, you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. assistance dog is such a close. Well, everyone thinks anyway. I, I got a bespoke dog. I didn't. I got an eleven-month-old dog that hadn't done advanced training. He had Who his, almost self-selected. Yeah. He did, and he came alongside my wheelchair. You know, and and he came to my right side, and I don't feel the right hand side of my body. I can use it to, like I'm holding a cup now, but I don't feel it. And if I mm. put my arm behind me in my brain, it isn't there. And it's like when I try to shave, I don't have that side of my face. It's really quite weird to explain to people. But he naturally came alongside and that's where he deployed himself to be the strength. And it was just the, the, the he became the memory dog. He did things that dogs shouldn't do. Mm. But he just nailed it. And whether he used his mouth, his nose, it didn't really matter. You know, he was just intuitive. He was just there. And for 13 and a half years, my hand went down and he was always there. And he just knew. And But, you know, EJ was there. I mean, one of the things that EJ took over was, you know, Endel had picked me up from that pit of despair and EJ was sort of kept me up there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, EJ was his own person. He didn't, I often say, you know, he had some big poor prints to fill, but he just, he, you know, Endel would have been looking down at pride. He was a very equally as intuitive dog, but took where we were to a new level. Yeah, he was just so intuitive. But now you're saying was. Yes. Well, I, I, for me, a couple of weeks ago, uh, after four, nearly 14 years, 14 years just shy of the month, uh, had a normal normal morning, and you know, as as a rule, you know, he would have retired, but he was he was nurturing. The, I've got a new new boy who's called yeah. Et Endel the third. But yeah, normal morning, he got me up. We went out for our walk on the downs. You know, we did quite a few miles a day. Had a lovely morning. Uh, then we went to meet my daughter in Waterlooville for lunch. I thought, well, just leave the dogs at home. You know, they can they can have a rest, a bit of separation for the new boy so he doesn't think he has to be with me 24-7. And when we got home, EJ wasn't right and I knew exactly that he wasn't right. Uh, but by the by about tea time, we knew he definitely wasn't right. And, uh, you know, as any pet owner knows, as any dog owner knows, you know, a week early is better than the day late. 
and I had to make that awful decision again. But, you know, I, I, in some senses, I didn't want to sort of put him in the car and take him to some unknown car park and put him to sleep there. And we're very lucky we have a good Petersville vet that looks after us really well and has always kept in mind what type of dog you know ej was and endel equally but you know they came out and he was put to sleep and uh, again the little guy in the corner little you know nine month old uh, et endel the third came over said his goodbyes and ironically has stepped up to the plate again he he knew there was something of him and though he's a giggly wiggly puppy if I drop something, he picks it up. He, the, in Waterlooville the other day, he was doing traffic lights. We flew up to we flew to Northern Ireland this weekend to the Northern Ireland Flower Show. We had a Hounds for Heroes garden, and he he was just brilliant through Heathrow Airport hitting the lift buttons. He was just blowing people, wrong terminology, but he was blowing people away. They were watching this young chap with the the with the the language, the body language of a, a senior assistance dog, and he was you know with Rookie, the other one, which we'll introduce you to. So he's kind of been apprenticed, hasn't oh, he? he? Has. To EJ as EJ was to end. And also in so the house we have Rookie, who we call a reservist dog, who won't be placed with anyone, but goes around to meet veterans around the country and mm. things. But Rookie is a, a, a really intuitive dog, a lovely yeah, big white golden retriever, big fluff bucket. I mean, he's done two hundred and eleven flights now. You know, he went out to the garden show and I've got the young chap, which, you know, he stepped up to the plate, but Rookie is... Young the, chap, E.T. Yeah, E.T. Endel the third. And is this E.T. here? That's him sleeping it there quietly. Oh. Uh, he is really... So we're looking at E.T. who's fast asleep in a rather luxurious looking crate there. Oh, he has. And, and yeah, it's, little it's, den. Yeah, it's more for him just so he does, because he's... He really he is, is How old is he? He's uh, 10 months now. Because, of course, your dog is a bit of an ambassador dog. Yeah. Ambassador dog? Ambassador dog. Yes. What I think is so lovely, Alan, is Endel was obviously a complete superstar. But EJ has carried that torch on, hasn't he? He, he did. And I'm yeah. looking at E.T., who's <laughs> looking snuggled up and fast asleep for the moment. But, I mean, they have learnt working with you from being apprenticed to each other the, and being around they they, they? they they have and so how much actual how much focus training are you giving et and how much of a base bearing in mind he's only 10 months but he's already got it i, I was well aware when i had endel we we got caught up in the media thing he was voted yeah. the world's most intelligent dog dog of the millennium what a title to get you know yeah. got to wait another no know, pressure no pressure <laughs> But yeah, he he lived up to that. Uh, And when I took on Endel, I almost realised in a strange sort of way, I stopped chasing the Holy Grail. He was entered into a lot and I would actually know, you know, because you get caught up in that. And I always knew when Endel went, what would I do? How do you come down from that? As I imagine it must be like sportsmen who and, and Olympians. It must be that time when you've got to decide, actually, you, you can't be that. You know, there's got to be and actually be in control of it. So, you know, having EJ, you know, it was a lovely handover from Endel. But I mean, and when EJ sort of took over, I was a bit more protective of him. I mean, in front of you, there's my sort of storyboard of some of the things EJ done. He done. We're the, looking at an amazing pin. You know, there's like, you know, he with, did. Yeah, I can see the. He did crufts. You know, he did thirteen crufts, four days yeah. at crufts. You know, he he went on airfields and aircraft. Mm. He did, you know, 485 flights. You know, mm. we were travelling around the country, all over mm. the place, raising awareness of what we do. But he was, an, you know, he he just knew to look at the camera. He had that look about him. Yeah, it was it was it was great. And uh, yeah, yeah, we he lived life to the full. And I don't think he'd have crammed any more in. 
So, there we are at last. Finally got in the door of Hounds for Heroes. And I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed interviewing Alan and hearing all about the dogs. And indeed meeting Rookie, the gorgeous kind of can-do-anything-turn-his-hand-to-anything dog. And Endel the third, E.T., on to next time. Uh, we're kind of back in the rhythm now of a monthly podcast. I had to take a little bit of time off. And uh, so it's nice to be back with a nice roster of interviews lined up. Next time we'll be meeting Louis, who's a fire investigation search dog. Um, there's an amazing 17 fire investigation search dogs in the entire country. And we have three of them in Hampshire. It's an amazingly impressive world of highly trained dogs and a contribution that one doesn't really know about or hear about um, and some myths to bust as well so that'll download at the end of june and uh, i'll pop it up on the podcast stream with episode notes and photographs as usual it's great to be back and uh, thanks for listening if you work your dog or you know someone who works his or her dogs uh, i'm always up for hearing them email me on team at shineradio.uk have a great month Turning back time to the 1950s, it's Petersfield's Shine Radio. With stories of Petersfield from people who were there. Monkeys escaped one day and they got into the Catholic Church dome. Oh my goodness. And they took weeks to get them down. With vintage headlines from legendary local newsman Martin Muncaster. It's 1953 and Her Majesty the Queen has been seen in Petersfield. And with the music of the 50s. Petersfield's Shine Radio is turning back time to the 50s. Live from the Platinum Jubilee Fate on the 4th of June. Petersfield's Shine Radio.